This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to build a long-term sustainable product development framework. Today, we have our guest, Christian Cox, joining us. Christian is a linguist, professional ponderer, and currently the co-founder and director of technology services at Piola Digital. He is an expert in real ways the businesses and the technology group can work together to refine the product backlog and prioritize development based on complexity and widespread net value of your SaaS company. So welcome, Christian. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Thank you for having me. Um, super humbled to you know get to share a little bit of your space here uh, and your time. Um, super stoked to you know talk about this and, like I said, you know share my hardest lessons learned with everybody listening. Kind of save you some headache going forward. And and uh, you know I always say your your product backlog will will thank you in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get into kind of the backlog, because I know there's a lot to, to kind of dig in there, uh, can you share a little bit? You know, your personal background. What's been your past positions, ventures, up until you know co-founding Piola Digital? Yeah. Um, so basically, I've probably got the most unorthodox background in tech um, that you that you overhear of. Uh, I'm a Spanish geek turned product development uh, nerd. Uh, I studied Spanish um, all through high school. It was my major in college. Um, after college, my next logical step was move to Latin America. So I lived in Argentina for six years. Um, I wanted to, you know, soak up the culture, get good at, you know, really speaking Spanish fluently. Um, and I was just working like table waiting jobs and things like that. And when graduation time came, um, I had to find some excuse to stay in Argentina. Um, and so I applied to an entry level position as a content manager at a web development firm. Um, I had been doing like this super makeshift blog, blog of traveling. So I was, you know, pretty familiar with WordPress and some very basic HTML editing. And that's kind of how I got my footing in, in, uh, you know, the technology world. Um, and then when I got there and I actually saw what, you know, the developers were doing, um, actually writing all these lines of code and literally being able to do whatever they wanted through, you know, just that. And I was just blown away. And, you know, obviously I was just like getting, you know, dipping my toes in the water at that point. But to me, it was just so fascinating having come from just like a language background to come into this new world and really see that there's, you know, so many possibilities um, and you can literally build whatever you want. Um, so that's kind of, you know, how I, how I got into technology. Um, and yeah, I just dove head in from there. You know, I just became a student uh, of it and just have been trying to improve my craft ever since. Um, I always ask people questions, you know, what are better ways we can do this? What, what are better ways we can learn? And technology is really that type of field anyway, right? Um, things become obsolete pretty quickly. So you kind of have to stay on your toes and uh, be looking for the best practices and the best ways to do things. Because, um, you know, if not, people get in business, get left behind. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and then, you know, let's talk a little bit more about makeshift. So you, you, I think you built that. You're the, you know, past founder in 2019. What was the, you know, the idea to launch? What was the problem you were looking to solve in the market that you thought was, was helpful for, for people to, to follow you? Yeah. So funny story. Makeshift is actually, it's, it's in my bio on Twitter. Um, but it's literally, it's, it says I'm the make, I'm a makeshift founder. Um, 
actually makeshift is not a company. Um, I have always been open to just, you know, letting people know that, um, you know, I don't know it all. Right. And so when we started, uh, we started Pillar Digital in 2019. Um, and, you know, I just threw that on my bio, like, hey, I'm a makeshift founder, um, learning as we go. We're building in public. And, you know, all of the lessons that we learn, we want to share that with people. Um, so it's, it's just kind of something that I threw in my bio. It's been there for a little while. But it's just kind of like embracing this idea of, you know, just like really building in front of people you know, hey, what's working for you? This is what's working for us. Um, and, and quite literally just, you know, just says, hey, I'm a makeshift founder at this company. And um, yeah, you know, that's kind of the, the idea. Or, or I didn't really think much of it when I threw it on my bio at the time. Um, but it's kind of just like, you know, at some point we all got to start, you know, our learning adventure somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never... For me, you know, I was never going to put, you know, CEO and founder of blah, 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 company. You know, I was, it wasn't really anything at the time, right? So it's just like, you know, I think this, this fits what we're doing, uh, you know, as of today at the time and, you know, I'm continuing to learn. So uh, if you go on my Twitter bio, it literally just says, uh, I'm the makeshift founder of uh, Pillow Digital and another little venture that, I'm, that I've been working on. Um, but that's kind of... I mean, there's, there's really no, you know, story behind that. It's just literally makeshift as an adjective and founder as, you know, <laughs> the noun. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think that's super fascinating. I think we had, uh, we had another guest, uh, Mubashar Iqbal. He's also, you know, big on, on that. He like, I think he's built over 40 different products and he likes to publicly kind of show, you know, his, his process over time. And I'm sure you probably are familiar with him in the space. Uh, I think I think it's fascinating. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's it. just great to, you know, one of the things I love about um, this kind of uh, this little community on Twitter mm-hmm. of like people building in, in a public is like, you know, once you get over yourself and and the fear of uh, you know thinking that everybody's watching you and watching what you're doing and kind of judging you, you realize there are more mm-hmm. people who are similar to you than you know maybe you originally thought of. And I've been guilty of this as well. Um, but once you kind of like get over that, you, you realize like even guys who are or, or gals who are, are, you know, 20 years into their entrepreneurial career, they're still learning things every day. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those things for me where it's like, you know, being able to truly kind of like be vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and, and be open to saying, I don't have all the answers, but, you know, I will I'm, you know, more than happy to share my, my lessons learned with you guys. And, you know, if it helps, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do so. So that's kind of, um, kind of one of my mantras that I go by. And I love to just, you know, let people know, like, we'll do our absolute best. Um, you know, we don't know all the answers. We can't, there's things that we, you know, we'll find out as we go along. But, but yeah, you know, building in public and just, just sharing openly, I think, um, you know, that transparency is valuable to, to people in the community uh, in, the, in the long run. Hundred percent. So you work with obviously you work with a lot of SaaS founders, um, and you know I want to kind of understand a little bit. You know, Piola Digital, you mm-hmm. guys do kind of product uh, outsourcing as well, right? So you do product outsourcing, yeah. development, onshore, offshore. Um, I, want, I want to talk about that a little bit more because you know I think there's a misconception. I've seen this happen many, many times where founders at the early stage, maybe the first time, kind of building a product, they they want to, they have an idea. They're not product. They are not product people. They're not developers. And rather than you know finding a CTO, they find somebody to outsource the entire project to. And yeah. every time I've seen that happen, that's been a complete mess. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe you've seen uh, uh, elsewise. How do you kind of typically work with those SaaS founders? How do you help them? How do you speak with them? And you know get them through that. And and do you work with those type of projects? Yeah, I think it. I think it, it's it's uh, you really have to understand. Um, you know, as a founder, and, and you. You make a good point, right? There's two types of founders, I think. There's a founder who's non-technical, who maybe in the early stages leading up to MVP, um, they got folks to do, you know, freelance work and put together something that that works pretty well. Um, and then you've got the technical founder who, you know, again, maybe it's a guy or gal who did most of the heavy lifting, most of the coding on their own up front. Um, so they kind of understand um, what those inter- incremental processes are like um, as far as building is concerned. I think what you really want to find in a partner when you're going to outsource um, your development work is really try to find somebody who's going to, um, you know, have those values about building incrementally. Um, so like, for example, on our projects, we, you know, we work in, in two week sprints and we're demoing uh, everything that we've done, you know, every other Friday or, or whatever day 
sprint work, uh, starts on uh, every other week we're we're demoing what we worked on right and so we work closely with our stakeholders to understand okay you know this is everything that we've got in the product backlog um, can we sit down and have discussions about prioritizing um, our, our you know different stories and different features based on you know what's going to give you a healthy ROI in the near term but also in the in the long term um, because you want to put in, you know, architecture that supports scalability going forward. Um, and then you really have to get into this cadence where you kind of refine those stories and get them sprint ready so that you can plan out sprints like two or three sprints ahead. Um, and then, you know, just that, that cadence of demoing every two weeks, um, and really building in increments. I think. That's the difficult part that a lot of companies run into when they're at this pivotal kind of growth stage in their in their in their SaaS journey, uh, where they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we balance, um, you know, maybe they've raised funds and they and you're trying to figure out how do we balance um, our investment in sales and marketing, but also how do we, you know, build a framework on the back end of the house that know that the people don't really see that accompanies that that uh, sales and marketing growth, right? And I think it's it's super important, um, like for SaaS founders, when you're looking to partner with somebody, uh, make sure that value of building in increments um, and and kind of planning out the the product roadmap over over time is something that that's got to be there for me. Otherwise, you know, um, it it can go haywire, um, and you know, timelines get out of whack and. Uh, you know, well, we thought we wanted to develop this and we ended up developing, developing something that people didn't want. Um, right. So, you know, I, I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but that kind of, to me, um, it gives you a better chance, you know, and things can always come up. But if you can at least get in the mindset of, you know, partnering with people who um, can kind of help you build out that sustainable path going forward, um, it gives you a better chance to be agile and adapt quickly if you need to. Mm. Can you just define quickly, you know, what are sprints for people listening who are maybe not as familiar with yes. the technical term? Yes. Sure that so, yeah. So a sprint is essentially, um, it's like a, it's like a, you know, the standard is, is a two week um, time period of, of just flat out developing. Um, prior to the sprint, um, you have, different uh, activities, uh, you know, different time box meetings. Um, they could be grooming sessions, which uh, essentially is looking at everything that's in your product backlog. Uh, you talk through it uh, with both the business stakeholders as well as the technical folks who can provide that input. Um, and you break them down into little bite-sized uh, actual pieces of work called user stories. Uh, the framework of the user stories basically says, as a somebody, I want to do something so that... I can achieve XYZ business outcome, right? Mm. So you get a bunch of these little user stories, uh, you know, very clearly defined in a way that's actionable for your technical team. Um, and then they decide the workload that they can take on in each sprint or two week period. And at the end of that two week period, then you have a demo that you share with the stakeholders of everything that you've worked on. Ideally, um, you'd like to get into a cadence that allows you to plan two or three sprints ahead so that you're kind of just hitting the ground running, right? And every time you get to the demo, it's like, here's another increment that we've been able to put on top of what we delivered last time. Um, and you really set something up that allows your product to be, you know, 1% better every two weeks, right? And it's, it's the classic example that I always talk about with people is like, you know, how many millions of people have iPhones, right? And, you know, personally, I have an iPhone and, you know, you sort of see these little tweaks of, you know, something that's different and you're like, this is, this is nice. You know, it, mm. it, it wasn't there four weeks ago, um, but it's, it's something that adds up over time, right? Until they get right. to like, obviously their major release where it's, it's a huge jump from one number to the next in iOS. Um, but those are the little things that, um, that set you, set you up for kind of like this, you know, long-term sustainability and development, because what you want to get away from is, is, uh, what's, what's known as waterfall delivery, where it's just like tons of documentation and just, um, you do one thing, you spend a lot of time on it, then you go to the next thing and you spend a lot of time on that, um, you know, really focusing on, you know, this, this idea of, building a working product 
because you're never going to, you're not going to change the world with your first release, right? That's one of the hardest lessons that I think we all need to learn. Um, You won't be releasing the most incredible product the first time around. So you really have to become comfortable with, um, you know, building in these two week increments and kind of just letting it all add up over time. I think generally speaking, um, people, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a month, right? But we underestimate what we can do in a year's worth of of development work. Mm. Um, So I think, you know, if if you can, you know, as a SaaS founder, if you can kind of partner with someone who can can guide you along that path, um, can collaborate with your business stakeholders and also speak the same language of the technical people, um, bridging that gap between the business and the IT group, uh, you know, it becomes something that's much more manageable. Mm. And and how do you kind of, uh, you know, adding to that point where you said there's people who come and maybe are, are frustrated because, you know, it's not something that the, at the, the end user was actually expecting. Maybe it's not what the, the founder was expecting. Um, you know, in those early stages of SaaS founders looking to maybe define that framework for their MVP, how do you work with them to choose that kind of baseline of what's needed as a core functionality and just enough to get released versus them saying, no, look, this is what we want. This is what we want to build. They tell you this big vision, go out there and build this, 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 and this, um, where all you need is, you know, just this start, this first part, make sure, you know, this is what your users want. And then how do you work with them to define that first part and get a release? So, so SaaS founders, um, they're always looking to figure out, you know, some sort of gap, um, in a process that already exists. Um, Right. So when you're looking at that gap in the market that you're trying to fill, um, obviously a ton of ideas come to mind. Um, but it, it really is kind of just like this grounding experience where you just talk, it's literally just talking through it, right? Mm. Where you say, you know, okay, this gap that you're trying to fill at the very bare minimum, how can we fill it? Right. Like what, w- without all the bells and whistles, what's going to bridge this gap? What's going to make it, you know, Two percent easier for the end user, and I think most of us, and you know, a lot of products, they're 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 like conceived as a result of you know us as a user being like, hey, I mean, this process sucks. I wish I could do this, this, and this, Um, and then they go out and build it, right? Um, I think if we can kind of put ourselves in the customer shoes, right? So for me, one, putting ourselves in in the customer shoes as remembering what it's like for us as consumers. Um, and for us as the user who is frustrated with whatever process we're working with. Um, and then two, if you can actually have conversations with people and say, hey, you know, let's say you've profiled a certain type of, of, um, of, of person at, at a certain type of company. Um, if you can just ask questions to people um, and, and, and say, hey, you know, I bet you do this quite often. Would it be helpful if you could, you know, achieve the same outcome? Um, you know, skipping this step and just going straight here. Um, if you can have those conversations and then couple that with me as a user, what drives me crazy, right? And at the very bare minimum, um, what do I need to make this process just 1% better, right? I think if you can help people like make processes um, more frictionless, um, whatever is and, and, you know, it, it's going to be different for each context, but that's why it's important to have these conversations. And the SaaS founders who are ideating all this, they're the ones who are going to know, right? Um, and so for me, it's just like, I ask them, can you just tell me everything um, that you've noticed or that you've observed about this process? And then where can we drill down to start? Like, where can we find the baseline? Because there's going to be a ton of things that you can build on top of that. And then also, as you get in front of more people, they're going to tell you, hey, you know, it would be nice to have this feature, this feature, and this feature. Um, but I think, you know, kind of to, you know, reel it back in, it's two parts for me. It's, if it's, if it's MVP, can you talk to potential users who, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, perform a certain task or perform a certain process? Can you find out what's driving them crazy? You as a user, what, you know, is, is grinding your gears as well. Um, and then whatever patterns you notice, between the conversations you're having and also what's driving you insane when you're doing these tasks, you know, what's the very, like the least amount of effort required and the, the, the most bare bones functionality that you can get to just make this process 1% better, at least 1% better just to make sure it's a working product and get it out in front of people. If you've made their, their process slightly less, uh, 
you know, have slightly less friction, then you're onto something. Mm. So you said slightly less friction. I want to I kind of yeah. make it a little bit more tangible. So let's say you're talking to these ideal, you know, your ICPs or these buyer personas you've identified. You're going out to them, asking them what products or what problems you can help them solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go and build a product for them. Is there any metrics that you like to measure specifically that can tell you, you know, is this segment a good fit or the right target? Or you go on to three's three and they say, no, this one is the, is the right one that you want to continue focusing to build around. Yeah. So ex- for an example, and this is, uh, this is actually a conversation I had with my, my wife the other day, um, mm-hmm. where like, I think the service business industry is notorious for having these super outdated onboarding processes. So you think about like cleaning services, um, car washes, details that, that sector is actually getting pretty, is, is actually getting better. Um, you know, lawn services, but, you know, the other day I was on a, I was on a, um, a website for a cleaning service and it's still like, you got to call, they got to tell you the quote, they got to ask you so many questions. Um, and right there, if you're the webmaster, you can look at what's the abandonment rate on my website, right? Mm. So you can look at the before. And then if you're trying to improve this particular process, me as a consumer, I personally like less steps. If I can go to that site and understand exactly what it is I'm getting, how much I have to pay, then my conversion rate, me personally, is going to be higher, right? I go and I know what I, 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 know what I need, know what I'm looking for. I found it. So I filled out the form and I paid. Right, so that's an example of a metric um, that you can um, that you can look at. Right, in the case of the service business, it's you know how many people got to the site and ended up putting something in the cart and paying. If it's if it's SaaS, it's it's kind of like um, you know if 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 your if your user has a very specific task to perform. Um, and you have some sort of, uh, and you're capturing data around the use of, of this task. You can look at how many steps are involved to complete a certain task and you can see, you know, did they reach the endpoint or not and break it down and say why. And then look at every single step involved and see, you know, where can we eliminate steps to make this easier? Um, that's, you know, actually one of the most recent projects, projects that we worked on is, you know, we've, a lot of, a lot of, com- a lot of companies, they might, you know, have a lot of hot fixes that are built on top of each other. Um, and for the audience, um, if you're, if you're not familiar with that term, a hot fix is basically just, um, something came up and rather than looking at it from a long term point of view architecturally to figure out what's the best design to implement, you know, it's kind of sweeping it under, uh, under the rug with a quick fix and then it just stays there, but it's not really useful, right? Mm. Um, it's like a one off case that you develop something really quickly to fix this point uh, in the process. And one of the most recent process, uh, projects that we worked on, um, this client had a ton of you know, hot fixes just piled on top of each other. And we discovered that when we're looking to, we were looking to rebuild some of, their, some of their user flows, there were a lot of steps involved in certain processes that really weren't necessary. Uh, and it just makes the process as a user cumbersome. Um, and so kind of walking through uh, through, you know, those examples and, you know, these folks, they weren't collecting any data. Um, but if there is data that can kind of help you see, you know, you know, how many people are doing what, um, what we thought they were going to be doing. And if it's not in line with what we expected, where can we pick across, uh, where can we pick apart that process, go through it and see, you know, where the hiccup might be. Why might the user uh, be more hesitant to finish this process than this other process? Um, you know, are there parts we can eliminate? Um, you know, are there steps we can eliminate to make sure that they get to the, to the, to the end goal quicker and, and, and easier, you know, make it, just make it simple and, and painless. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, adding to that, so those people who are, you know, maybe built something, they've talked to their audience, they've kind of, uh, you know, set, set up their metrics to see what's kind of working. Um, for SaaS specifically, do you have any strategies? I'm assuming you've worked with different SaaS companies who've launched products. How should they be looking at, you know, releasing it? How do, what does a successful release look like? Or, you know, especially at the beta stage. And do you have any places you suggest for people to promote and launch uh, at the early stages? Um, so I think a, sex, a successful release is, you know, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of successful SaaS companies have had, 
good releases when they can get some some really good initial traction. Um, and obviously, that's you're pro- you're going to probably see that reflected in both your 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 use your usage um, traffic, um, and then if you're paid right out the gate, right, depending on what kind of revenue structure you have. Um, let's say you have a seven day trial and then people convert, um, to, to paid. Um, that's another really good metric that you can look at. Um, you know, and, and I think about it from, um, as the consumer, uh, there have been, you know, different tools that I've used, um, for such and such a reason where, um, I'm happy to pay for it, um, after the trial's over. And then there's other tools that I've been, that I've used and, you know, I've done the trial, um, but it didn't kind of blow me away. Um, mm. So if you're launching for the very first time, um, I think that's a really key metric. Um, and depending on your, 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 your pricing model, if you've done, you know, the free tier and then it, it converts to a paid, uh, a paid subscription, if there's a significant drop off there, then I think you've got something to work on, uh, as far as what your value, uh, is that you're providing to the user. And on the flip side, if, You've done the same, you know, the same pricing model where it's free upfront, and then after a certain amount of days, it switches to a paid, a paid uh, subscription. Mm-hmm. If you've noticed kind of like a steady, um, a steady um, path there, and as well, if if you've noticed like an uptick there because more people are getting on and and, and onboarding, um, that's also a very key metric to pay attention to. I think. I think the, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, after that kind of launch that founders really need to be weary of is, um, after the initial hype wears off, how do you keep the user falling in love with the product every single time, every time they come back? Um, cause we've seen, you know, time and time again, I'm sure everybody's seen it where like, you know, a product did really well in the first year, two years, three years. Um, but then it just couldn't quite keep up with the demand that um, people were having for the product. And to me, um, that falls squarely on um, the product development um, piece because you can throw money at sales and marketing all you want. Um, but if at the end of the day, your product development's not accompanying that, it's going to be super difficult for, for you to stay relevant in a market that's you know so saturated because a lot of people are doing things that are really similar to you. Um, even if even if uh, you know your your competition is doing the exact same thing that you're doing why is your, why should your user stay with you right what's that one thing or that small handful of things that you're working on um or the way you deliver um that's a game changer for the user right what what's mm. so, you know i think that's um that's that's something that to me is is kind of just like something that i've paid attention to um and and what I'm actually what I'm really curious to to pay attention to these days is you know Clubhouse and, and Twitter Spaces. I'm try, I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out, because um, you know from a from a product development standpoint, Twitter Spaces is uh, like ramping up their their yeah. delivery, and you can tell that they've been building in increments really quickly um, in Clubhouse. You know I I think they did a I think they did a, a um, a raise not too long ago, um, but I'm still just trying to figure out what's going to happen there. Because you know, as a user, it's it's cool, um, but me personally, the notifications drive me crazy. <laughs> and I think that's what most people have. I think what, what most people have complained about. Um, so you know, it's interesting. You know, I think that's a perfect example. Like after the initial hype wears off, in the long term, like what does Clubhouse look like in 2024? You know, right, that, that's right. kind of like. What, what I'm what I'm trying to get at because you you can you can have an uh, an initial release and everybody's gonna go crazy around it and it's it's great, um, but there's this kind of like pivotal growth stage right and and that's kind of like where we come in and and we say okay you've done some really awesome stuff up until today how do we sustain that and and pr- improve and build upon it um, so that's kind of just like I think I got off track there but it just came to mind um, you know after the you know getting to the MVP and and figure out did your release go well? Um, you know, you definitely celebrate that when it does. Uh, but you know, it's, it's the beginning. And I think most people look to the future anyway. No, I mean, and that's kind of the, the, the no, no problem kind of wandering off. I mean, we're talking about long-term sustainable product yeah. development here. Um, you know, so how do you kind of refine or prioritize? Do you have some effective ways to refine that product backlog and then prioritize your development 
based on kind of, uh, you know, after that initial launch, you get that release. How do you keep them, like you said, engaged for the long term? Do you have ways to kind of prioritize and, and set those up? Any frameworks? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of what I, I, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of data. Um, so, you know, typically once you've reached your MVP and it's been out for a little while and it's doing pretty well and you're at this stage where, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of SaaS companies, they kind of prove their concept and then they, you know, they'll raise money because they want to, you know, take it to the next level. Um, at that point, it's really important to have your business goals defined very clearly as far as, you know, what do you need to, 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 to implement to have a healthy ROI in the short term, but also the long term, right? So if you can look at your data um, and, and, you know, see what kind of patterns you have in your data and you couple that with a business goal, um, then you have a decent chance of, you know, kind of reverse engineering that and, and getting to your, your product backlog items. Um, one of the exercises that I like personally is called impact mapping. So you start, you can just get a, a whiteboard and you start on the very left-hand side and you just draw in a circle, what's your business goal? Um, then you have four columns. Uh, the first column is called personas. So these are, uh, these can be existing users. These can be uh, users who you want to attract from your competitors. Um, the next column is called, um, it's your customer, uh, outcome. The third column is your business impact. So the, the outcome for the customer, what impact does it have on the business? Mm -hmm. And then as a result of all this, what are the items that you need to develop in your filing column, which is called your product backlog items? What are the items that you need to develop in order to achieve this, right? So if you say our business goal is to increase our, our user base by 20%, um, and we have one of our personas as an existing customer, the outcome for that persona is, okay, we just want them to have, they want to have a really incredible experience when they use this, right? So in the third column, the business impact for us, if this person is having a really good user experience, is they might recommend their friends uh, and colleagues in the space to use our product. How do we make that easier for them? Okay, so then we develop a feature of uh, bonus uh, incentives for, you know, and this could be like, here's my link. Uh, and when you join, you get $5 off of your first month and I get $5, something like that. Right. Um, you know, or, or different product backlogs items to, you know, kind of gamify this. Um, so that's just one example and it's super generic. Um, but when you talk through that and you kind of provide that space to kind of get the creative juices flowing, um, when you, you, you bring the business stakeholders into that kind of, um, that kind of sandbox world, um, then you get to figure out you know, exactly what is it that we can develop here and that's in the short term that's going to help us, um, you know, reach that business goal of, in this case, we want to uh, up our user base by 20%, right? So that that's just like a super high level example of something that, that I like to do um, because, you know, really what it comes down to at the end of the day, Q, is like, you know, we're people were at the process, we're at the center of all the processes. Can we get together and just discuss it, right? Um, the, the hardest thing is getting time on stakeholders' calendars because they're always putting out fires and they're always swamped. But at the same time, interesting, interestingly enough, they need more of that time to just have nothing to do but just think and contemplate because th those are the activities that are going to help them get to the next uh, level in their, in their business, right? So if you can, you know, me, if, if I can find a way to get, you know, an, an hour and a half on a stakeholders' calendar and can we just you know, just chop it up. Can we just talk about it? You know, um, and we can, you know, do these types of activities that kind of just visually let everybody get a chance to um, imagine, you know, what, what, we're, what we're talking about, what we're trying to achieve. Um, those are the best moments, really. Um, and I've seen it time and time again, when you can just get the necessary stakeholders in the same space and, and they're talking and I'm not, I've done my job, you know? <laughs> If they're talking and I'm and I'm just just watching and I'm a spectator, um, then we're we've we've got we've got something good going on. And and that really that's how you kind of reverse engineer that and get to you know what exactly do we need to develop? You know, based on what they've seen in the data, versus what they're defining as the business goals are. Um, if they can have those conversations, and like I said, and I'm just a fly on the wall, just writing it down, 
then I've done my job. <laughs> yeah, it sounds so simple, right? But I mean, I, I, I doubt how many people actually do that. I mean, we, we try to do that at least once a quarter, kind of do a look back on, see, you know, look deep into our data, actually plan time. I know it's, it takes like conscious effort. You have to plan that, kind of set time apart, look at, you know, everything, get all the data, look at it, analyze it, you know, mm-hmm. and have everyone together and, and, you know, make kind of decisions for what you want to do. But I think they're super, super effective. And uh, yeah, I recommend everybody do that if they can, right? If, yeah, if, if, if you can time box those, those meetings too, because um, mm. it's easy to get off track and stuff like sure. that. But if you can time box those meetings and, beforehand let everybody know what the what the objectives are like what do we want to achieve um i think you can you know make sure that everybody stays cognizant of 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 everybody's time and and uh, everybody kind of goes with that mindset you're saying okay you know this is what we want to achieve um at the end of this meeting and like we absolutely must make you know some progress on this because you know like you said you know it's 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 difficult because you know people are always swamped and they're putting out fires and there's always something to do and you need things done yesterday because this came up out of nowhere and then you know that type of thing so um right. you know yeah it's it's uh, it's it's hard but you know it's can we just take it one day at a time um that's really all you can do you know there, there's so much so much literature on on uh, product development and, and, you know, what the ideal um, frameworks are. Um, and, and, you know, each, each organization is going to have its own little quirks and, you know, what bits and pieces can you take away from what the book says and stuff like that. But, you know, can we at least just, you know, just take it one day at a time and, and see what, you know, how do we mold it to fit, you know, our people and our processes and our culture? Um, and, you know, just focus on, can, can we just get, you know, 1% better every day? Um, in the long run, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, what you're putting out from an IT perspective uh, is going to be much more solid. That I can, I can, I can guarantee. You know, it's not going to be perfect, but it'll be much more solid than, than when you're working and you've got silos up and people aren't talking to each other and that type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been great, Christian. Uh, love, love kind of chatting about this. Uh, I want to kind of shift gears more into the, the personal questions, a little bit more rapid fire. Um, so starting off kind of what's, uh, one advice you wish you had known and maybe would tell your 25 year old self looking back to knowing what you know today? Uh, man, um, people, when I, when I get asked this question, um, and this really doesn't have anything to do with, um, SaaS or product development itself, but this is more kind of, um, just entrepreneurship in general, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said at the beginning of, of the recording, um, I'm Spanish major turned product geek. So on paper, like I was never the person who was going to, I wasn't the guy in high school who everybody was like, yeah, in 20 years, he'll be a millionaire. <laughs> you know, that was not the case. Um, and I just learned, um, you know, I was just super curious. So, you know, one, if, if you want to do something um, and you want to do it well, be okay with failure up front. Um, especially if it's something that's new to you. Um, be okay with failure and be okay with knowing that there are people who have walked the path before you and, um, you know, see what you can take away from their journeys to save yourself some headache in the long run um, and realize that we're all learning and, and everybody's, you know, people are more willing to help and share than, than initially we think so. Um and I think that's kind of just like this psychological thing that as humans, we have a hard, term, hard time getting over at the beginning because, you know, we want to do things, you know, really well. And it's, and it's hard to let go of, of, of that fear of, you know, it not coming out perfectly. Um, so, that, so I would say that, that as number one. Number two, um, when you start your entrepreneurial journey, and this is probably for me the most important lesson that I've learned um, this has to do with marketing and what your your value is and what your messaging is like. If you can learn to say more with less, then you're golden. Um, the first website that we put out for Pula Digital, um, and my background is, you know, after I got into technology, I, I ended up working for um, uh, a, a big multi multinational um, marketing or I'm sorry um, management consulting firm. And that was all I knew, right? That was kind of like the what I was raised in, quote unquote, um, as a young professional. Um, and so when I first started, and, and granted, you know, this is a type of company that you know they they're on the the New York Stock Exchange, and and you know they don't have a tangible 
actual product. It's 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 all the value of their brand, right? So that's what's what's driving their stock price. So when you go to their site, you know, you don't really see exactly what their offer is. It's just a bunch of kind of like you know, fluff. It's it's the buzzwords and and the industry of you know the, the industry fluff and what they're what everybody's talking about that that year or whatever. And our first website, you know, you know, being, with that being all I knew, we did something similar. And I realized that when you're first starting out and nobody knows you, you absolutely cannot do that. You cannot, you know, just throw buzzwords around and and all the fluff and 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 the stuff that sounds cool but that doesn't really say much. Um, mm-hmm. And so we had to learn that lesson, you know, the hard way where we were looking at our, our, our bounce rates on our websites and they were, they were really high because, you know, people went to our website and said, you know, it looks nice, but I don't really understand what you guys do. Um, and that was a, you know, a really hard lesson for me that I had to learn from a marketing standpoint where, you know, your messaging needs to be very clear um, and you need to know how to say less with more. Or sorry, more with less. Um, I, th- you know, my favorite examples are, you know, I go to Sp- the Spotify website or I go to Airbnb, and I know exactly what I need to do, and I know how to do it and get it done, and that's it, and I'm done, right? I don't need to read through a bunch of a bunch of stuff, um, you know, that's, that's just you know like pretty words and and it sounds nice, but I still don't know what I'm ta- what I'm reading at the end of the day, right? You know, I go to those types of websites, and it's it's so clear what the offer is. There's no way that the user can be confused, right? Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that was, you know, for me, it was the most important lesson that I've, that I've learned so far um, in my entrepreneurial journey, just um, being able to have really super concise messaging um, and, you know, about what your, what your, your product or your service, your service um, offers. Um, and if you can say the most important things about your product and then the problem you're solving uh, with less words, you know, then I think you have a really good shot uh, out the gate of uh, of really, you know, connecting with people and getting them to 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 hop on board with you. Yeah, so super sound advice, and uh, I completely agree with those two. <laughs> uh, Christian, who or what are the best three resources? Uh, just three that are you know books uh, and or people. It could be mentors or people you follow, which you you mentioned. You know, there's people out there that you you look up to and are maybe helping you. Uh, who you say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Um, so there's, there's a guy that I, that I, um, that I've been following on LinkedIn. He's, um, kind of been like mentoring me from a distance because I've never been able to, um, go to one of his, um, seminars or, 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 um, participate in one of his courses, but he does really, really good, um, B2B sales. Um, his name is Jason Bay, and I'll, I'll give you a I'll give you his, his the link to his his LinkedIn so you can share with the with the audience later. Um, and you know this is probably a whole other podcast conversation, but like B two B sales is such an art, and I've learned I've come to respect that profession so much because in the early days when you're doing all the outs all, all the outreach by yourself, it is tough, and I'm sure you you've, you you know it's it's hard, right? It's and and it's you know how do you communicate with people and and you know something that you offer that you feel is valuable but they don't know is valuable and you have to find a way to let them understand that it's valuable. Um, so he's one guy that I highly highly recommend that that um, SaaS founders follow um, as you build out sales organizations. You know he's dropping some really really solid uh, um, tips and tricks on on his. On his LinkedIn timeline daily, um, there's a plethora of information that he's sharing. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend him. Um, the other thing is um, there's a book that I am halfway through. Um, it's written by um, oh, what's his name? He's a Har- he's one of the Harvard professors. Harvard has a a podcast called After Hours. Um, it's a panel of three of their professors, and they talk about like um, you know recent events, and it's it's it, it's it's easy to digest, right? It, it's not like super heavy conversation. It's easy to di- digest. And um, the uh, the professor's name is Mr. Desai. He I can't remember his first name, but he wrote a book about finance. He's the finance professor, um, and he wrote a book about how finance works. And I think both from a business and from a personal standpoint, it's super under it's super important to understand that stuff. Obviously, as you get into business and you you start to um, you know be exposed to more terminology that maybe you you didn't. You didn't know um, in your undergrad. You know, again, for somebody like me whose background is 
you know, has nothing to do with business. Um, you know, a resource like that for me is, was super fundamental. Um, and then the last book, you said three, right? Yeah, three, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the last book that I'm also halfway through is, um, I think everybody's heard of it. It's, um, I think it's by Dale Carnegie. It's, it's How to Make Friends. And I can't remember the, yeah, I can't remember, it's how to, how to make friends and and win business, something like that. I can't remember the full title, but essentially it talks about soft skills. Um, when I was in my undergrad, early in my undergrad, I worked, um, at a customer service job at Kohl's. Um, and I realized how much I enjoy just interacting with people and, and, um, you know, how can I help you? Like, I enjoy that a lot. You know, um, we used to have customers that come in and, you know, have the most ridiculous complaints, but my job is to, you know, fix that. And how can I make you walk away, you know, slightly less mad than you came in? <laughs> um, and I realized that, you know, you know, that was something that I enjoyed. And, and this book touched on that because it talks about, you know, your soft skills, representing a significant um, percentage of how successful you might be financially. Um, I think, you know, it, for me, business is kind of like 50% know-how, 50% can you, you know, just vibe with people and, 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 you know, just chop it up. I think at the end of the day, you know, people don't buy from a company, they buy from a person, right? People like to work with folks, um, that are, you know, just cool, easy, like the type of, you know, you'll go and grab a beer with after work. Like, you know, can, are you someone that we can just vibe with? Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, you know, definitely that book because it, it just, you know, hit home for me is, you know, with, with soft skills and, and, um, you know, I, you know, nobody wants to be like dealing with somebody who's super robotic at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that was, that was, that's a good one that I recommend to, you know, it keeps you kind of in check with your your verbals and your nonverbals and things like that uh, as you Absolutely. interact with more people. How to win friends and influence people. They'll, they'll yes. kind of, yeah, everybody yes. should yes. recommend that. We'll, we'll add yes. that link to our show notes as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sweet. <laughs> Christian, uh, <laughs> what, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, financially, business, life, there's no right answer. How do you define yeah. it today? What keeps you going? Uh, what keeps me going is... Um, I think I mentioned to you while we were actually while we were setting this up, um, my wife mm-hmm. and I we had our our first baby girl last year. She's going to be one on Wednesday. Nice. Um, I just love to hang out with my girls, you know. Um, and for me, entrepreneurship is a tool that uh, will allow me to do that more and more. Um, you know, it, it's. Obviously, money doesn't directly buy happiness. I think everybody can understand that. Um, but it is a tool that kind of allows you to buy back some of your own time. Um, and, you know, my daughter, she's one now. You know, we might have, a, we might look for, um, you know, another child here in the, in the near future. Um, and I just want to, you know, be able to just hang out with them. Um, you know, if she's like, daddy, daddy, I got a, you know, a dance recital or, or, or you know, or, or I just, you know, those little things, just like moments in time that you really never get back. Right. Um, and either way, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be busting my tail working. So if I give my, my, myself a, an opportunity to do it for me, you know, that's, that's something that, um, I've always told people, like, if you're on the fence about, um, you know, trying to find, uh, you know, what success is like for you and, and you want to make a ton of money or whatever, um, you know, really figure out what your why is. So for me, it, it's, it has, you know, everything to do with family. Um, also, um, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, I spent most of my 20s living in Argentina. That was the most life-changing experience that I've ever had. My wife is from Argentina. Um, we speak Spanish at home with our little one. Um, and Latin America is such a special region in the world because... There's so much technical talent out there, um, and it's kind of sad because it's it's hard to bridge the gap between um, North America and South America um, purely because of the language barrier. Um, and if you're not one of these big firms that's going down there and installing the infrastructure, it's super hard for them to, you know, kind of show off what they got going on down there. And so that was one of the things that for me. Um, when we conceived Pillar Digital, it was like, if, if I can show off Latin American talent in a way 
um, that really like kind of shines the light on what they're doing down there. Because, you know, I had people take chances on me out there when on paper, I wasn't the right candidate for the job and stuff like that. And, you know, I met some of the, some of the most talented developers um, I've met um, in my journey or, you know, they're all, you know, Latinos based, still based in their home countries. Um, and if I can help bridge that gap and, you know, just show off Latin American talent, you know, for me, that's, uh, that's one of the most gratifying things about, you know, what I'm doing. And that's definitely part of, uh, why I do what I do. You know, I just, I, I love, I love when, when I, when people are like, you know, you know, we tried, we tried outsourcing to India, it didn't work. And, you know, I try, I wanted to go to Latin America, but I don't speak Spanish. And I'm like, got you. <laughs> I got you because this team is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico right now. So we got a lot of good talent oh, nice, down here dude. too. And I know nice. a lot of people outsourcing. Yeah. Yes, so the, ne- yes. the next podcast we'll have to do is Spanish, but for, I think this has yeah, been good in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Uh, Christian, this, is, this has been great. I, I appreciate you jumping on, chatting, sharing. This has been fun. Um, how, how can our audience get in touch with you? How can they learn more about you and uh, what you're working on if they want to want to say hi? Yeah. Um, so my, tw- I'm usually more active on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is underscore C C O X 14. Um, that's where I'm making most of my noise, um, weekly. And other than that, our website is, uh, Piola P I O L A digital.com. Um, so you can check out what we're working on. Um, there's a free guide on there about, um, kind of how to, um, you know, transition to agile, sustainable delivery in a near shore setting. Um, so you can download that. Uh, it's just a quick form. It just says name, email, I think title on it, but it's free. Um, you know, we don't spam you. I just like to say hi every now and then. Literally, I think it's like once every three weeks, I'll drop something in your inbox to say, hey, check out this interesting article or something. <laughs> oh, so we're not going to, we're not getting crazy with it. We just, you know, want to stay in touch. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I love to share everything that we're learning on, learning about um, key takeaway, takeaways from projects. And, you know, I hope to, I hope it helps people, you know, if, you know, like I said, if at the end of the day, I can share stuff with you, that's going to, um, you know, save you a little bit of headache and, and, make your 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 the way you move through your product backlog a little easier then you know i'm so happy to do that cool well we'll add, we'll add those links for show notes make sure to say hi to christian uh, and check out the work they're doing at piola thanks again christian i appreciate, appreciate you jumping on sas district show today it's, it's been a great chatting with you it's been great thanks man appreciate it thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining sas district today don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the sas industry If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.